Jeff here. Thanks for listening. Go to playvolutionhq.com slash ccbag or click the link in the show notes for the show's archives, ways to connect, ways to support the show, information about happy hour, and more. I'm Jeff Johnson coming to you from upstairs studio in the snuggery along the Gulf of Mexico with me, Tamar Jacobson. How you doing, Tamar? Hi, everybody. I'm right here. Oh, Tamar, it's been a while. Glad to have you with me. Yes. You did You did some world traveling uh, over, over the summer, huh? We did. We went to Croatia and France and it was wonderful. I hope you ate and drank and partied and had a great time. We sure did. <laughs> We're back. This is our 27th early learning journey episode that we've recorded tomorrow. Wow. And and with us we've got we've got Clevet. How you doing Clevet? Good. Nervous. So, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, she said she's nervous. That which is I mean, who 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 are you most who makes you most nervous, me or Tamar? Um I think I'm just nervous about sharing my story, but also nervous that I'm going to cry and then nervous oh. that you're going to judge me for crying, Jeff. No, oh. I, I envy people who cry. I, oh, I can I, make I, Jeff cry. Yeah, you tried. <laughs> it hasn't worked yet. Um, <laughs> a, as we, as we ease into sharing, I've got a, I got an important question for you. I've been asking other co-hosts about this. Um, I realized the other day I took the dogs out for a walk and I realized it was my favorite temperature. Um, it was, it was, um, I'm not going to tell you what mine was, um, just cause I don't want that, that cause I, I, I don't want that to influence yours. So I'm, I'm wondering what is your favorite outdoor temperature and you can't take humidity into consideration, um, or you can humidity. I mean, you got to add humidity into it, but it's your, your favorite in your life, outdoor temperature, the temperature you'd like it to be outside. I would say 69 degrees. 69 degrees. That's very close to mine. Clevet, what's yours? I was going to say that, but for a different reason. Whenever it is 69 degrees, I say, oh, it's a sexy temperature. <laughs> yeah. oh, this is going to be one of those episodes. Um, okay. Well, that is uh, look. Um, and I, just, I, wait, 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 you know, can I unpack that a little? What does it mean that it's a sexy temperature? Yes, explain um, explain that, Clevet. Because it's um, it's what they call a certain um sexual position. Oh, oh, I see. Sixty nine. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> that's very uh, <laughs> that's very literal. I thought maybe you know having sex, it's nice in that temperature because you don't sweat as much. I mean, I wasn't quite sure what you meant. Yeah. No, but I, that's it. 
I think that is also true, Tamar. Um, look, that is, I, and I I should have asked, if I, the question should be, what's the sexiest temperature? That's what the question should be. But so I came up with a bad question. Uh, those are those are both good answers. Mine is 67, um, mm-hmm. just a, a little bit cooler, which is, which is also a sexual position, but uh, it takes a little bit more practice. Um, I, anybody wants more information can send me, I'll, I'll, I'll draw you a diagram. Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Tasha's on the other side of the room, but she's got her earbuds on, so she can't hear me. Um, so we're off the rails already. Clavette, what we're, we're, we've got, we're, we're doing an early learning journey. It's yours. We usually start at the beginning. So what do we need to know about your beginning oh my gosh um I don't know um I was born in Pomona California born and raised in 1991 um I was raised by a single mom who immigrated here I think a few years before that from from Mexico um she is from Torreon, Coahuila, um, and I have an older sister. Um, she's about eight years older than me, so there's a big age gap there. Um, we both have different dads, so that's like a different um, like dynamic. Um, when Allegedly, when my when I was two, my parents separated. I've got no recollection of it or anything like that. Um, but I'll, I mean, because I don't remember anything. These are just stories that I've heard from my family. And um, my dad was very abusive towards my mom physically. Um, and I remember, well, I know that my sister witnessed a lot of those things. Um, I think because of our relationship and, you know, the rest of my story, how everything played out, like we don't, that's something that we don't really talk about amongst each other. You know, I've never really heard her story and she's never really heard mine. Um, so it's kind of like an unspoken thing, um, that we have in our family and and in our sister relationship, um, and it's just me and her. My mom didn't have any other children. Um, but although I do think my sister has siblings from her dad's side. Um, and I think I also might have some siblings from my father. Um, but I don't know him. I don't know them. He, after my parents separated, um, I mean, he never came around. I have no idea who the man is. Like he could be my neighbor from across the street for all I know. I've got no idea. Um, I know his name because it's stated on my birth certificate, but that's that's about it. Um, but my mom um, was brought up a certain type of way. And I think a lot of people in the same situation or like, similar upbringings like I think a lot of us refer it to refer to it as like old school ways where um you know your parents are not affectionate towards you like they don't tell you that they love you they don't hug you that sort of thing um and you know she was a lot she was she had many siblings 
you know, she wasn't just one kid. So I think that her upbringing had a lot to do with how she then raised us. Um, and yeah, I, I, it's, it's, I don't know. I'm trying to like explain things. Um, I think now as an adult, I understand why I was raised the way that I was. But when I was a child, I was just like, well, why is it like this? Like, why can't you just do X, Y, Z for me? Um, but going on, you know, um, she didn't have a partner for a long time. Like she never had a very like committed or long-term relationship until um, I was a bit older, I'd say about four or three years old. Um, and, you know, this, this person came into our lives like very quickly um, I just remember when, you know, one day he was like living with us and my mom was in that on and off relationship until I was about, um, about 15, like sometime in high school. Um, but that person was also very, um, unhealthy and abusive, um, and just toxic and just a pretty shitty person. Um, and um, I was sexually assaulted um, my entire childhood by this person. And um, I didn't tell anybody. Um, and, you know, it, it didn't start off, you know, like that right away. It was like very, you know, looking back, I can see that it was, there was a lot of like grooming and it didn't just start like that abruptly. Like there was a lot of situations where I was like exploited and, you know, photographs were taken of me and just, it kind of just started off like that. And, and I think this person was really um, testing the waters and the limits to see how or what, you know, he could get away with without being caught. And unfortunately for me, like that never happened. Like he was never caught, like nothing raised any red flags, but um, that was really hard for me. And I'm still living with the effects of this to this day. Um, and it's affected my personal life, my, my sex life, my marriage, my parenting, um, just, all around everything. And um, I remember when I was, I think in maybe first or second grade, I I started to realize that there was something wrong with my moods. Um, and I felt like I was not normal. Um, I can feel myself wanting to go and play and have fun with other kids. But there was also part of me where I was just like, I don't want to do that. I just kind of want to sit here by myself in this dark corner and just, just turn off everything. Clivette, um, what, what, what made you know not to tell people? Um, I think that I really wanted to tell people, but I, I think because the abuse started so young, I was like three or four years old. I, I, I don't recall my mom ever talking to me about these things uh -huh. of like, this is what you can do when this happens, or if this happens, you need to come talk to me. 
there was none of that. So you um, sort of thought it was just normal? I guess. But as I started getting older, I realized, like, this isn't right. Like, there's something happening. Like, why are you taking me into another room and closing the door? Or why are you doing this when my mom's not here? Or you I afraid? just started. Were you afraid? When that was happening or. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I like disassociated a lot. Like I just kind mm -hmm. of shut off and I just tried to escape uh -huh. and, and just, you know, yeah. let it just let it happen. Um, but as I was getting older, I remember saying like, I, I don't want, I don't want you to do this. Like, I don't want this to happen. Like I, it, it hurts me. Like I, I don't like how I don't like this. And you know, that's at that point, that's when like the threats started happening. Like, well, if you tell your mom, then I'm going, going to kill her. And at that time, I think as a child, it's scary to hear that. But I also believed it because he was physically abusive towards my mom. So not only did I have to deal with the sexual abuse and assault and all that happening, but I also had to deal with seeing my mom being hit and, you know, police being involved because she was hurt or just my mom didn't speak English very well. So I also had to translate these situations between my mom and the police. And it was just a lot going on for a kid. Right. And then to put everything on top like of that, like with abuse, like it was just like, I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't take care of myself because at that point I was just like, well, I have to take care of my mom because I don't want anything bad to happen to her. Um, and, you know, as I got older, you know, as I said, my sister was like eight years older than I was. So by the time I was, by the time she was a teenager, she actually became a teen mom. So she wasn't really living with us anymore. It was just me. Like she had her own life. And I just felt, I always felt like there was really nobody out. There was nobody looking out for me, not in the sense that I was being neglected and nobody was taking care of me, but in the sense of nobody was really aware of what was happening. Mm -hmm. Nobody was paying attention to the red flags and just cues that I was trying to demonstrate by like, you know, not going out to play or just, you know, being so reserved, like, you know, having anxiety issues when my mom would leave me anywhere, just these things that like nobody picked up on. Um, Have you since and... talked to them about it? Oh, no, Tamar, this is something that is just swept under the rug in our culture. Like, uh -huh. I actually disclosed it when I was 16 to my mom, because at that time, she had left that relationship. Um, and she had met somebody else. And it was, you know, they had been dating on and off. I mean, not on and off, but they had been dating. And I guess they wanted to take the relationship to the next level. And, and they wanted to move in together. But I think that definitely triggered something for me. And I was just freaking scared. I was terrified. And in my mind, although I was older, like, in my mind, I was like, no, he can't live here, because now this is going to happen to me again. Um, and at that point, my sister was there. And I just had like a total crisis moment, like I was, like, hyperventilating, like, I couldn't 
like think I couldn't breathe. Like I was just having like a panic attack and my sister did not know anything. She didn't know what the hell was going on or why I was acting like that. And I just told her like, this is what happened or this is what he did. And I think because of the way that I said it, I think maybe my family just assumed that it was a one-time incident. I don't, we've never talked about this to this day. Like nobody knows exactly what I lived through my entire childhood. Like they just think it was one time, you know, and I told my sister, she told me that I had to tell my mom and, um, you know, I, it took me a few days and I was really scared, but I ended up telling my mom and, because she was more worried of like, well, why don't you want him to live there or live with us? And I think I want to think, and I assume that deep in my mom's heart, she knew at that moment that something terrible had happened. But I think also maybe, I don't know what it's like to hear that as a parent. And I'm sure it's hard for her um, to, to come to terms to that and to hear your child tell you that and and maybe think that as a parent you failed him because you didn't see any of this happen um and um i think the way that she handled it i i really was expecting something different um but i also knew my mom and i knew what i wanted i wasn't going to receive and right away there was a lot of like blaming and not like directly, but I think, I think it was too much for her to deal with that. She was just then putting it back on me. Like, well, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you tell me anything sooner? Why didn't you like, it was just all about me. Um, and I just told her like, I didn't tell you anything because I knew that you wouldn't believe me and look at you now you you don't believe me um so you know um at that point she apparently found him went to go talk to him about this and of course he denied everything because what person would you know just yeah. say but yeah I did that um and because he said that then she said well he said he didn't do that so she's lying like she just made that up. Um, and at that point in my life, like, you know, it, it was really hard. Um, did you stay I, home or did you leave home? I stayed home, but there was also so much happening before that. Like um, when my mom was kind of in and out of that relationship, I think I was about... It was like my tween years. I think I was like 11, 12, around that time. Um, my mom worked at night. She cleaned houses during the day and at the, over the weekends or at night, sometimes she would clean like um, like offices, whether it be like at construction sites or whatever it was, um, she would be out. So she didn't want me to stay home alone. So she would take me to my sister's house. But I have no idea how long this was happening, but as I got older, I realized that my sister's boy, then boyfriend or partner or whatever, they, um, he was putting um, things, drugs, 
I don't know, something in my drinks and making them, making me drink them um, at night. And I, I realized that, you know, because I, I, I think there came a point in, in that time where I realized like, okay, there's something happening here and, and I'm not safe anymore. I thought this was a safe environment for me, but now I have to be like hyper alert. Um, and I, I started connecting the dots and I was like, well, why do you always make me drink this when I'm going to sleep? Oh, because it's to help you sleep better, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, I don't want to drink this. Well, you have to. And I said, well, I don't want to. And you can't make me. Um, well, no, you have to drink it. And it's just, you know, somehow, even though at that point I was practicing, you know, speaking up for myself and advocating and standing up for what I felt like something was off, there was some always some reason that just made me doubt myself and then think like, oh, well, I'm probably just crazy. I'm overthinking this, like, you know, and I would end up drinking it. But I, you know, I have this this memory where I'm, I'm drinking it. And then I, I realized there's like white powder in the drink. And then I think at that time I was just like, I can't drink this anymore. Like, this is not normal. Like, why do I have to drink this every time? And I realized I, I, I didn't drink it. Um, I don't even remember what I did. I think I ended up sneaking away and I dumped it into the sink in the kitchen and I rinsed the cup and he would go and check that I would drink it. And I said, no, I drank it already. I'm just washing my cup. Um, and I remember that, you know, I, that night I just, I couldn't really sleep. I think I, I think I was scared. Um, and just, I, I, I could feel somebody standing over me. I could feel somebody like running their hands through my legs. And I just, you know, I, I woke up really fast and I just saw a shadow of a person like, running away and just you know and even then like in earlier in my childhood like things didn't just start from there like I I remember when I was a bit younger I would tell my mom like oh somebody's sitting at the edge of the bed and somebody is watching me when I'm at my sister's house no it's you're probably just dreaming like why would anybody do that like I think you know you're just having a nightmare you know, um, and then I would wake up in the morning and there would be a chair at the edge and there would be this big stuffed animal sitting there. And it was the creepiest fucking thing. And I was just like, what the hell? Um, and How did you survive all this? I've got no idea. I, I think... Are you still in contact with your family? <sighs> I do not have a relationship with my mom, uh -huh. but I do talk to my sister. Uh -huh. Like I said before, we don't talk about any of these things. Um, I, I did tell her that something happened with her, you know, ex-partner, but she doesn't know the details of it. Yeah. And um, have you had some kind of counseling or help? Not until I was an adult. Right. So I, yeah, I, I started um, counseling um, in 2012 for other reasons, but I think there was just so much going on. I think there have been so many things added to my plate that it was just really difficult to talk about everything because uh -huh. I just really had to unpack one 
event at a time. Right. And it wasn't, it wasn't until about, I'd say about a year or two ago that I really started like talking about my childhood and, and healing and just unpacking it and everything with that. And it's been the hardest thing because, but also like the most beautiful thing. Um, and I say that because I, I feel like in this podcast, we're always talking about resiliency mm -hmm. and I hate it when therapists tell me that like, Oh, you were so resilient. But I, I see that, you know, as children, like you just adapt to the worst situations and the worst environments and you just survive and you figure it out. Because I think if there's no one in your corner, you realize you really realize that right away and you just you just survive however that means to you in your own situation like it just you just do it how do you think it's um helped you when you're working with children because I'm assuming that you work with young children I do um I think that it's helped me in the sense of like really rooting for the underdog and kids like especially those whose adults aren't you know don't have the, the capability or the skills or the maturity to really raise a child or or you know be the responsible adult that we they're supposed to but they just can't so just doing my best to give everything I possibly can that they don't get in their homes when they leave uh -huh. to give it to them then. D did you train for that or did you just sort of fall into the profession? I just fell into it. Yeah. I, um, when I was at community college, I signed up for the work study program and at the college I intended, I attended the held like little interviews so you actually had to apply and like it was this, the real you know like um and I actually started in the kitchen of the child development center at my college and I mm -hmm. guess I wasn't that good because they're like do you have or or maybe they saw when I was in the classroom they're like do you like have you ever thought of being in the classroom like <laughs> Are like, you, these, did you... these chicken nuggets are really shit. Um, have you thought about <laughs> working with kids? Yes. And it was, it was so hard. I had to do like, it was for the whole center and it was just me. So I was like, it was a lot, but it was fun. But when I went into the classroom, like that's when I was like, this is kind of where I want to be. Um, so I was so happy that they did that. Cause I'm like, Oh, thank God you told me because I didn't want to quit, but I didn't know what to do anymore. Um, and, and I started with um, two to three-year-olds and I didn't know anything about like child development or early childhood. Um, I think it was actually like my second semester there. So the like the master teacher who we had because it was a lab school, like she was absolutely amazing. Her name was Amy. Um, and I think I really learned so much from her. And she was such a good mentor, like when she needed to maybe like not correct, but like 
really tell me something like, you know, I, I noticed that you did this, but have you ever thought of blah, 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 like the way that she just worded things and just approached me, like, I didn't feel attacked, like, I didn't feel like I needed to be defensive, like, she was just absolutely amazing. And I learned so much from her, like, in that year that I was there. Um, and that's really kind of just how it all started. And it was all like play based, like there was no like, you know, academic curriculum, anything like that. So it was just it was a beautiful experience. And I'm so happy that I was able to experience it with her, like, and the way that it was like, and not like in a maybe quote traditional program, because I don't know where I'd be right now. But um, did, it, did it make you study further for early childhood or? or... Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. I ended I was I was a psychology major, and then I switched over to child development. Uh -huh. Because so you've been taking care of your mother all your life. Yeah, yeah. And my sister, I was always like the defender and the person to, you know, fight for them. But I was just kind of ignoring me and not standing right. up for myself. Right. So I, yeah, I think advocating for myself has been another hard thing for me in my life. Because I mean, at the most important time of my life, you know, in the beginning of it, like I was told to ignore that and please somebody else for their own benefit um so it's been really hard to to relearn um um listening to my body like listening to what I feel um standing up or saying something when I feel uncomfortable or when I don't agree with something just I think just advocacy as a whole like has been something hard for me to do like even when I go to the doctor like you know, now I'm able to say, no, like, I'm that you're not listening to me. Like, this is what I'm telling you. Like, but before it was just kind of like, oh, okay, well, they told me this. So I guess, yeah. Um, I, I dismissed my own voice and I didn't, you know, allow it to, to come out and just speak. And now I'm really learning to, I've like really cranked it up a lot. So um, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm proud. Good, good. Well, that's good. So uh, do, uh, have you managed to find a partner that does not abuse you? Yes. It took some time. <laughs> it, took, it took a while. Um, yeah, I, I was in a really, like, abusive relationship as a teen. Um, and, you know, into my adulthood. Um, and it was really hard because... When, when I went to therapy and I'm still doing it, like I, I realized how I'm still doing it. I'm <laughs> yes, 74. Yes. yes. And I, I realized that healing is like not linear. I, I don't think that there's ever going to be an end to it. I think it's, you're just going to keep going because there's always going to be something else happening in life. But I also realized that it all comes down to my childhood. Like everything that I've been through or everything that I do, like just all these other events, like it all roots down to my childhood. And I'm just like, oh, my God. And sometimes I feel like I'm blaming everything on my childhood. But I, I'm trying to kind of switch that mindset because it's not that I'm blaming. I think I'm just really identifying like where all of these things come from. Right. 
you're trying to understand yourself yes yeah and and almost all of it comes back to that and I'm just like mind blown because I'm like wow like that's I don't know that's wild I mean I'm sure that has an effect on how you see how important our work with children is yes yes I'm I'm sure you make that connection yeah yeah and I think in the past few years, I've really expressed to people, you know, whether it's people I work with, like families, like I I tell them, like, I know you want your child to wear a jacket when it's cold, but, you know, I really want them to practice body autonomy and actually know what it's like to be cold. Because if you're always telling them that they're cold and they have to put a jacket, like, are you really allowing them to listen to their own body? and really identify and feel what it's like to be cold or are you just telling them that and they have to believe you amazing amazing and I and I feel like when I say things like that I get some people that are just like very like oh no like you're crazy you don't know what you're talking about or they have to wear their jackets but every once in a while there's at least one person who kind of just takes a step back really listens to it and just they're like you're right like I I think I should just they'll tell me and I'm like yeah you know you can't force your kid to drink water all day long if they're not thirsty like they're gonna tell you when they're thirsty you will know um so I think it's a lot of that too and and just like talking about consent in the class or just things like that um and I think a lot of people, when they hear that, like, they just think of, like, sex. But I'm like, no, like, it could be like, can I tie your shoelace? Or you have some boogers in your nose. Can I wipe it? Or here you go. There's a tissue. You can wipe it yourself. Or can I keep your artwork? Is it okay if I put it on the wall? And just things like that, that I've really, like, switched And I don't know if it's because all the work that I've been doing, but I didn't do that before. Like, and and now I do. And I didn't realize it until last year with my teaching partner. And she told me, she's like, wow, like I've never heard anybody um, ask if, if it's okay, if their artwork is put up on the wall, everybody just keeps it from them and puts it up on the wall anyway. And then I was like, did I ask? And she's like, yeah, you asked. And, you know, for the people who said no, you said that that was okay. And you gave it to them. And for the people who said yes, you, you asked them where you could put it. And I was like, Oh, I didn't realize like, it just kind of is like a part of me now or like part of the routine. Um, So I don't know. It's, I think everything that I consent plays such a big part in just play in general. Because yeah. for play to happen, the people involved in the play have to choose to be involved in the play. Rough and tumble play yeah. is involved is rough and tumble play because it involves consent. If you just walk over and grab somebody and tackle them, that's an aggressive act. And so, yeah. it it and and we, I mean, it's 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 vitally important that we we pay attention to this exactly like you're explaining, um, in early learning settings because to be able to give thoughtful consent to things you need practice like everything else you need practice having the agency to 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 act for yourself and speak for yourself and and decide what you want to consent to and 
and not. So I think that's that's huge. Yeah, it's really big. It's a really big lesson. What age group do you work with? Um, right now I have four and five year olds. Ah, I like so that. So I was wondering. Um, mm -hmm. I've seen pictures of your of your children doing children stuff, and uh, I was wondering how the parenting you received has impacted formed the parenting that you provide I think my parenting along with my teaching has evolved it wasn't the same um I was I didn't even say that I was actually a teen mom um I my daughter was born when I was 17 years old. I was like three weeks shy of my 18th birthday. So that was like in itself was a whole other journey that was, you know, hard and traumatic and just, um, you know, like it was lonely and isolating. Like it was, it was a lot. Um, and frightening. I, I would say it was frightening. It was. I was, I was, I was alone. Like I, I didn't, it, it felt very much like my childhood. Like I didn't know who I could turn to and who, who would be there to kind of guide me through this. And I didn't really have many people to turn to. And the only person who has been like a constant present in my life and presence in my life has been my aunt, which is my mom's sister and she's been like that mother figure to me since um i i think all my life but i think i think there was a very big connection when i disclosed my abuse um and you know my my youngest calls her and my uncle grandma and grandpa and you know my sister makes a weird face when she hears it but i'm just like to her like and the role that they play in our lives like they are her grandparents like they're all my kids grandparents mm -hmm. um but all I, your I think... kids how many kids <laughs> I have three kids tomorrow <laughs> wonderful I have, I have a 14 year old I have an eight year old and I have a three year old amazing yeah yeah so I, I think in the beginning of my parenting um, I knew even when I was pregnant, I, I knew that I wanted to be a better adult than the ones that were in my life. I knew that I wanted to give my child like love and affection and hugs and kisses and all these things, because those were things that I, I didn't receive. Um, and it, it took a long time for me to work through a lot of my trauma to really identify that my experiences really were like affecting my parenting too um because I was so scared of the things that happened to me to happen to my oldest daughter um and I you know I I was able to then see like I was projecting a lot of my anxiety a lot of my fears like a lot of these like hyper alertness into my child. And I realized like, oh my gosh, like I can't do this. Like I need to stop that. Like I, I can't 
put all of this into this little child like that's not fair like she is her own person she will have her own life like this is not my life like she's not gonna at what point did that occur to you I took it took me a few years it took Mm -hmm. me like three or four years to really realize that and you know it was also hard because I was in this extremely unhealthy and abusive relationship so that also impacted her but I think it wasn't until that ended that we kind of walked towards that light at the end of the tunnel and we had like a whole new different life um and I think it also helped that I was going to school and I was learning about early childhood um and just you know dealing with my own experiences that really helped and just kind of opened up this door to new parenting like you know being respectful of your children like communicating with them like really listening to their voice like allowing them to advocate for themselves and my parenting is still something that is like still like evolving like all three of my children are different individuals like not one thing that I tell all of them is going to really help like my old you know my oldest is in her teens now it's going to be different than my three-year-old like it's very different um and a lot of the times I mean I don't know what I'm doing I hope that I Mm -hmm. I my kids don't hate me when they grow up (laughs) and they want to have a relationship with me um but at the same time I'm like if you hate me when you grow up I will respect that like you you will have those feelings for a reason and that's something that I will have to reflect on it is at no fault like yours like it would be mine because I'm the adult um so I'm very like open like we talk about like very big topics like in their own appropriate way like you know we talk about consent like we talk about the horrible things happening in the world like we talk about horrible things in our that are happening in our community in our neighborhoods like so these are all things that also I didn't receive as a kid and I know before I said I wanted to give my kids things that I didn't get but I'm also really realizing that I think parenting is about giving the things that your kids need not what you didn't get Mm, and that's interesting that's interesting and and I think that's really that's changed. very important what you've said. What an yeah. wow, wow, powerful. Yeah, yeah. And so much think... of our parenting is so personal, mm-hmm. and that doesn't yeah. doesn't take into account that that child is another human being. Yes, and I think you know, as as healthy. I hope I don't regret this. As healthy as my relationship is with my husband that's one of our main like strains in our parenting relationship because he had a different upbringing I had a different upbringing he's his own individual with his opinions and thoughts I am my own individual with my opinions and thoughts and you're supposed to come together and agree and raise this these tiny three people but a lot of the times it's just like hmm well, I disagree. Oh, well, no. And it's just like this constant thing, which everyone tells me that that's good. 
<laughs> but sometimes it doesn't feel that it's good because I'm just so like. Why, why did you say you hope you don't regret this when you started to say that? Because <laughs> I don't want people to think that we're like not like um, on the same page all the time, like that we're or that we're never on the same page. Uh -huh. I mean, I guess we never really are, but nobody I don't is. Know. I don't think. Yes. Yeah. You, you you know your face lit up when you mentioned him. Right. <laughs> Right. <laughs> listeners, listeners okay. might not have heard that, but I absolutely yeah, saw it. when when right. you mentioned him, your your face just started glowing, which <laughs> uh, which if he ever listens to this, I hope he feels good about because uh, that's that's nice. <laughs> Are you from no, the same culture or different cultures as well? Same, but different. Uh huh. Well, I mean, yeah. I think everybody has very different uh, upbringings and very different families, whether it's cultural, whether it's whatever. I, I, I always call us, everybody has mixed marriages because, you know, we just come from such different places. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes we can agree, but there's so many different ways of doing things. Yeah. No, yeah. We were both raised by single moms. So there's a lot of things that we we can... um relate to and just you know like I don't know but yeah it's it's just is he stricter than you no I don't know <laughs> I think we've really balanced it depends because she likes him Jess. I think she likes him <laughs> yeah <laughs> I always tell him that you know I, I roll over to the bed and I said so things are you know getting pretty serious like what are we <laughs> and he's like Babe, we've been married for like 10 years. I'm like, I know, but you know. <laughs> um, I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think that. Fun. Thank you. I, I think I think that is also like another learning thing for me too, because I'm not used to receiving like, I don't even know. I don't want to say attention, but like a different kind, like just love like mutual love or like mutual attention where I don't have to give a little piece of my soul for somebody without getting anything in return um so it it's it was really hard um in the beginning of our relationship because I was just I just I think I had to like built a wall around myself and I was just like no I don't want to like nope I don't want anything serious I just, I just want to have fun. Why do we need to label this? Like, nope, I don't want to. And um, it was like that. I think it was like our relationship was like the opposite of usual stereotypes where like the girl wants, you know, mm -hmm. to be in a relationship and the guy is just like, oh no, I just, you know, I want to have fun. Like that was me. And he was the girl. Like <laughs> it was total opposite. <laughs> Are you coming to NAEYC in November? Um, no, I was there. No, wait, I, I didn't go. I went to the, did I go? I went to the one last year. I can't remember uh -huh. if that was the C-A-E-Y-C or N-A-E-Y-C. Uh-huh. No, because I'm <clears> going to be there and I thought you could come to my session. <laughs> oh, in Pasadena, right? No, oh. it's that might be C-A-E-Y-C. N-A-E-Y-C is in Nashville. Oh, yes. I don't know. I'll have to ask. 
Nice music. Job. Good ribs. Oh man, skip the if you go to Nashville for that conference, skip the conference and hang out on Broadway. <laughs> um, hey, I wanted to revi- rewind for a minute because you mentioned um your your aunt and her being there for you a while ago. Mm-hmm. And through the whole first 37 minutes or so of this uh podcast, except for all that uh that talk about the the temperature at the beginning, I've been I've been gripping onto my uh my desk here like I did when we uh when we talked to uh to to Debbie a couple months ago, just being angry at the male species. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and then, and I was worrying that you didn't have anybody like your aunt in your, in your life. And you mentioned her and your face and voice kind of, kind of lit up again. And then I felt this decompression that you, (laughs) that you had somebody like that. So, so you had her, did, were, were there any other, were there any other people in your early years that were, yeah, there was. So when my mom, when my mom, when I was younger, my mom was attending like, um, like ESL classes in the evenings and I, the program offered childcare and there was the educator there. Her name was, um, Socorro and she had, she actually ran her own home childcare. So then I guess my mom like really liked her you know, she saw something in her. So then she actually um, took me to her home child care. And, um, but at that time, I think she had closed it. So I was the, I think me along with maybe one or two other kids, like she was caring for us since I was an infant all the way to like sixth grade. And I remember, cause I was starting to get embarrassed about her um, taking care of me. Um, but when I was in her house, like, I was just like a different kid. I felt like I could be, I felt like I was just a kid. Like, I didn't have to worry about what's going to happen. Am I safe? Who's going to be here? Like, do I have to hide? Like, there was nothing like that. Like, I remember just exploring. She had a huge, like, property, a huge backyard. She had, like, chickens, and there was, like, dogs, and she had like this trailer in her backyard, which that she used as storage, but like there was toys, like I would pretend I was camping. Like it was, I think also while I had like such horrible experiences in my childhood, like I'm happy that I also have like these beautiful and just like amazing experiences that I can just look back to and just, I'm happy that I had that because I don't know. I don't know how my life would have been if I didn't have those like people and those moments. Life saving. I I don't think people, I don't think enough people in this profession realize that their programs are those safe havens for so many kids back in my, back in my center director days. um, um, I had a little girl, and she was she hung out at the at the after school program for a couple of years when she was like third, fourth, fifth grade. And I met her again as as an adult as she was a college student. And and uh, we got to talk and she was like, Jeff, that that program was the only place during that time of my life that that I felt safe. Um, and yeah. I think it's important to realize that we are being that safe haven, that safe harbor for for a lot of kids because they don't have 
Uh, I mean, like you, they keep it all inside and it's, it's something we don't talk about whether they're told that or whether that's just their life experience. And, and we may never know, but just being there is a, is enough. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. It was so, and actually I was thinking about it. She, she had a son-in-law whose name was Jeff. (laughs) Well, I mean, good for him. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it was my mother-in-law. Um, I, I, he used to I, deliver cookies first. Yeah, like I've the... met my mother-in-law, and uh, and you wouldn't have anything pleasant to say. Um, uh, so, what's the future hold mm-hmm. for you? I don't know. I feel like I'm in a love-hate relationship with my job and the program and how it's run. And as much as there may be good people there at the same time, I'm just like, why don't we change things? Like, it's really frustrating. And I, I know I've shared with Jeff about opening my own program, but it's so scary. Like, I, I think with anything, you know, it's really scary, but I'm just like, I think I'm really scared because I, I, I don't think I have that confidence yet or maybe like that I'm not at that point where I'm just completely pissed off yet. I mean, I'm getting there, but I'm just like, I don't know <laughs> if it'll, I don't know if it'll work. I don't know if I will succeed. Like, I don't know how to start. Like, I just don't know anything. I have that idea and I have the dream of what I want. I just don't know how to get to there. Um, but it, the, but... The, the, the dream is like the seed. It starts it. And if, you, if you're if considering your childhood and how it affects your interactions and so forth, you put up with a lot very quietly. <laughs> so if you're putting up with a lot now very quietly, maybe you can change that. Or maybe not so quietly. Yeah. Yes. Not, oh, not, not so, so quietly, quietly tomorrow. Oh, wow. excellent. Oh, very good. So, <laughs> You're getting ready to go. <laughs> as somebody that's been through this, mm-hmm. um, my your, the unsolicited advice I would give is if that's something you would really like to do, that you start devoting 20 minutes a day mm-hmm. to figuring out what that would be like. Um, draw your logo, figure out what your name would be. Start thinking about policies mm-hmm. and procedures so that when the thing happens at work that 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 scratches at your last nerve and rips it apart and and you quit on the spur of the moment, uh, because that's <laughs> the way a lot of us do it, right. that you, yeah. you've got you've got a you've got a plan. Um, at, at least, at, at least you got some, some thoughts organized and, and put together about how you would make that new thing happen. Because what a lot of people do is they end up getting pissed off and they quit their jobs and they drift and, and they've got to, they've got to have an income. And so they take another job mm-hmm. that they're not going to be happy at. So start taking those, start taking those baby steps. I'm actually, I'm actually right. taking a business class this semester. There you go. There you and go. That's my um, small business that I've been working on for my class. So I learned a lot, but at the same time, I think I'm just so annoyed that I'm like, really, did I need this class? But I I think I did because I learned a lot of other things that you need to know to make a freaking business stay a business. 
that if I maybe had jumped into it, like I wouldn't have known and maybe it wouldn't have worked out or whatever. But um, I'm still taking it. Um, I actually have to do my midterm. It's due, to, it's due tomorrow. I haven't even taken a look at anything. But um, no, I I think subconsciously, like I'm doing things consciously to work toward that without really like admitting to myself. And I have a, like, I listened to one of um, Kristen's old um, podcast episodes that she shared on how she opened up her mm -hmm. old, you know, what is it? Butterfly something school. Yeah, Butterfly Hill. And yeah. And I had like, I sat down and I listened and I took notes like on this notebook and I still have it. And I'm just like, I can do this. Like, I can do this, but I think there's still that piece of me that I'm just scared oh. to take that step. And, sure. and like you said, to like walk away from income and like financial stability and, and really let go. Cause right now how I feel is just like, I'm holding on to that, but I'm also like this way. And I think I just have to let go. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, show co-host Rebecca just opened up her fourth yeah. school program out in out in the California, and uh, and I mean to make that happen, she was nannying, and I think she was doing some lift driving or something like that, um, or, or registered and ready to do it if 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 she if she needed to, and uh, she's a couple months into the program and scared that it's going so well, I think. Um, and, and it's, uh, it's amazing, but you know, when you, when you bet on yourself, um, good things can come from that. That's and true. I think you've, you've survived through so much and thrived in other ways of your life, in spite of all that stuff you went through when, when you were, when you were young that uh that i mean that it, it, i mean you you say you get annoyed at people talking about resilience but um <laughs> that builds up a little bit of uh of resilience that allows you to to move forward in those situations where where things are tough doesn't it yeah i don't get annoyed about people talking about resiliency i said i get annoyed when therapists tell me that i'm resilient oh, oh, big okay. difference okay okay i apologize <laughs> Well, there is something to be said that we do say children are resilient, but um, children don't have any option very often, so they kind of have to be, whereas yeah. now that you're an adult, you've got a choice, and you can be resilient. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, yeah. Now, Beautifully now said, Tamar. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what yeah, I sort of felt. Yeah. Because what choice did you have when you were young? You didn't have any choice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had to do what I had to do to survive. So yeah, it wasn't chosen. Like right. that, that was the only thing I could do. Yeah. I mean, one of the wonderful things that I think about being an adult is that we have choices. <laughs> you, you mentioned, the, the, I've been thinking about this for 50 minutes. Um, you mentioned <laughs> when you were, you were little, there were, there were things you, you wanted from your mom that you didn't get. What were what were some of those things? Oh, Jeff. Um, <laughs> oh, Jeff. You, can, you can say piss off, Jeff. I don't want to answer that quest no. question. No, what she means is, don't you know, I wanted her to hug me and be there for me. And Well, no, I, yeah. I don't. I don't know. You want to hug? <laughs> you don't I know mean, about hugs? My mom, my mom only 
told me that she loved me that I remember three I'm gonna say three to be nice but I really do remember just two times that she told me that she loved me in my life so just things like that and I and I think maybe also that's why it's so hard for me to accept love because it just wasn't giving given to me in a very appropriate way so you know that also like I had mentioned before like my whole like sex life was affected with that too because it was just like it was just no you know or just physical affection like I don't know it, it was it's tough so even with my kids sometimes like I there are days where I just I can't like I don't want anybody to touch me like I don't want to but kids don't care about that like they want you you know when they see you at the end of the day they are excited and they want to give you a hug and they want to kiss you so it's definitely hard like it reminds me a lot like teaching like you kind of have to go in and turn off whatever is going on with your life because this kid doesn't care like you need to be there for this kid yeah. um but but yeah it's it's hard I, and I think that's all I wanted, like that hugging or I think the typical thing you see in the movies or media, like your mom, you know, hugging you and loving you and just reassuring you like, oh, it's, you know, if something happens, it's going to be OK or things like that. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. I mean, what you're talking about is almost exactly what I write about. Oh. Almost word for word. Oh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so what else do we need to know about you before we wrap up? Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's so many things that to know about me. You're going to need like five different episodes. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Yvette, are you feeling less nervous? Yes. I think it helped not going into detail. I didn't know how into detail I wanted to go to because I think I think people who've experienced similar things, like I know I, I actually am finishing up a group therapy 10 week session, which was an absolute beautiful experience. But I know that a lot of us, when we share things with like people who have not experienced what we have, like we feel like we have to cut back the details a lot to spare them their sanity uh -huh. or I don't know what it is. Um, but yeah. I also don't want to trigger anyone who's listening, who's not ready to, you know, come to terms with whatever they are going through. But it was still nice to kind of share my story and my journey with the whole world that is going to listen to. Um, it's kind of liberating because every time they share a little bit, it's just like, I don't have to carry that with me anymore. Right. Less, of a, right. less of a burden on your shoulders. And I, I wanted to touch mm -hmm. on that because um, um, Debbie re shared her story and I was gripping my my podium the whole time. Listen to that. And <laughs> and after that episode came out, I think you let me know that that, you know, that that really yeah. resonated with you. And and I told I told Debbie when she was that that that, you know, there are going to be listeners that have been through the same thing. And it's 
it's going to be kind of therapeutic for for them and and so i appreciate you sharing yeah. um listeners if you want to if you want to connect with me and clevet and other listeners of the show you can head over to myplayhaven.com there's a link in the show notes it's a little community to practice we're building over the, over there we um right now there's sam in a couple episodes ago she put out a call for pictures of people's dogs and uh and there's some some dog pictures over there. There's some, uh, you know, there's early learning stuff too. There's articles. We've set up a group uh, where we're going to try to start doing some self-care stuff. We're thinking about maybe doing a, a book group discussion, maybe some Zoom stuff around that. Other stuff going on just for a community of people who kind of kind of dig the stuff that we talk about on this show. It's kind of fun. You can also join me for happy hour, the fourth Tuesday of the month at 7.30 p.m. Central Time. There's a link in the show notes and we just get together on Zoom. Uh, cocktails are are encouraged but optional and we talk about whatever you want to talk about to make a to make a podcast episode. It's good, clean, legal fun. Um, yeah, I'm sure that's right. You know what, Tamar? Last time, last time I was overserved, I almost had to have somebody, uh, somebody wrap up the show for me because I, I made myself a really, really good cocktail, and uh, uh, well, so, so you can show up and see if that happens again, listeners. Um, anybody have any final thoughts to throw out here before we wrap it up? Um, no, I, I appreciated your story very much. Your sharing, thank you so much, Clevet. And and you. you 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 did it with such confidence and thoughtfulness that uh, um, that I think this might be the episode that I've talked the least in um, <laughs> because I I I was I was just stuck listening to the story and that was that was very I don't want to say enjoyable because it wasn't an enjoyable <laughs> story to listen to most of the part but you you know what I mean right you know what I mean you know what I mean? yeah yep. hey yeah. listeners. <laughs> This has been the Child Care Bar and Girl podcast, the world's longest running, most prolific. And um, I was going to try to work in something about the sexiest temperature, but I can't think of anything. Podcast back soon. Bye bye. <laughs> bye bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> sexiest temperature. <laughs>